Hi, my name is Roshana Gryal, and I am speaking with Sarah Dangaren, and we're going to share some thoughts and information about um, big emotions and children with you today. So I have been working with an organization called Living Wholehearted for about seven years, and they offer counseling, leadership coaching, and organizational development, and they help leaders learn to live with integrity and lead with integrity. I work with children, teens, parents, families, and young adults. And before COVID-19, I also worked in a two-year-old classroom at a local preschool. <clears throat> I'm the mom of an energetic kindergartner who always makes me laugh and a strong and independent um, yet deeply caring preschooler. And I just feel the need to say that even though I deal with lots of big feelings in kids for both of my jobs, um, and I have little ones at home, I definitely do not always remember in the heat of the moment how to best help the little people in my world navigate the sometimes overwhelming feelings that they or we experience. Um, when I was preparing for this talk back in March, my mother-in-law was visiting, and she was downstairs coloring with our kids, and I heard all of a sudden screams and crying ringing out throughout the house. So I went downstairs to see how I could help, and my mother-in-law explained that my daughter had bumped my son's elbow, which made him color outside the lines. And in his anger, he got mad, and he pushed her really hard back in her chair. So they were both screaming and crying loudly when I entered the room. And I share this story just because it normal it's normal and natural to have big feelings for all ages, for kids, um, for little kids, for big kids, for adults too. So in my house there are lots of big feelings and I'm, I'm sure that in, um, in your homes there are as well. And one of the biggest things that I'm learning as a parent right now is just to accept and extend grace to myself and to my kids, to my husband, um, because we're not going to get it right every single time, especially when big feelings are involved. So I hope today that you feel grace from Sarah and I as we explore this topic together and that you remember that parenting is hard work and that it's never too late to try um, some new things that can help you connect with your child in those moments of big feelings. Yes, hi, I'm Sarah Dangaren. I'm a child and family therapist. I've been in the mental health field since about 2014. I've worked in the school system, in an outpatient setting, and also in private practice. And most of my work, I've uh, worked with children, teens, and young adults, and I've really enjoyed working with this population. Um, yeah, on a more personal note, I've been married to my husband for nine years. We have two kids, Jude, who is two, and Darby, who is four months old. So, like Roshana, we're in the big emotion stage right now. Um, in this season of life, I'm spending a lot of time dealing with my kids and their really big emotions. I really value or look forward to having quiet time by myself <laughs> and connecting with my friends. So um, for this talk today, I'm just going to run you through our agenda. Um, Rashana is going to start us off by talking about some different parenting styles. And then we're going to transition to talking about uh, your child's brain. Then we're going to give you some tools, uh, some parenting tools that you can uh, hopefully take with you today, right after you listen to this talk. And then we're going to wrap up with some discipline basics. 
So <clears throat> before we jump into the parenting styles, I have a quote that I wanted to share with you. Um, it says, begin with the end in mind. And I love this quote because it helps us as parents to remember to think about the end goal of parenting in each moment that we have with our kids. Um, so it helps us to think intentionally about what words we're using, what actions we're doing as parents, and how we help kids navigate their big feelings. Um, so just a couple questions to think through as we uh, share today. How do you want your kids to deal with big feelings? And how do you want them uh, to see you, or what do you want them to see you doing with your big feelings? And what do you want them to know about big feelings? Our job is not to create or teach kids to be perfect and never to have a meltdown um, because that's impossible, but we want to help them know how to move through the struggles they're going to face in life and to deal with those big feelings, um, how to connect with others and God and get their needs met and to love themselves and others through Christ. And so we hope today to give you just some practical tools and information that you can consider as you take some action steps with your kids. Um, as a counselor, I work a lot with kids and families to help them identify feelings and learn new ways to express them so that everybody stays safe. Um, so I believe that God created us as people to experience a wide range of emotions. Because of that, no feeling is necessarily bad or good to have. They just are. They're just part of, um, part of us as people, and they're natural. I also like to help families understand that um, while all feelings are accepted and okay to have and to show, that sometimes the behaviors that our kids choose to do or even that we as parents choose to do are not okay. Um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later too. But we don't want kids to believe that it's wrong to feel certain emotions. Um, that we we want to teach them it's okay to feel whatever you feel. We just have to help you find safe ways to get those feelings out. Uh, Dr. John Gottman is a researcher who studies relationship um, relationships among uh, couples and among parents and kids. He has studied a lot about a person's emotional IQ or EQ. And he describes this as a person's emotional awareness and their ability to handle feelings. Um, and he says that that will determine a person's success and happiness in all walks of life. Dr. Gottman describes emotional um, intelligence as the ability to control your impulses, delay gratification, motivate yourself, read other people's social cues and show empathy, and then just cope with the general ups and downs of life. So I thought that was really interesting because usually we put a lot of stock in a person's IQ, but really it's teaching kids from a young age what to do with their really big feelings that can help them as they grow and become a successful adult. The implication for us in this um, as parents is that, again, we have to be intentional about developing our child's emotional awareness. And we can do that through helping our kids um, or being able to identify what our ch children are feeling, showing empathy to them while we soothe them, and then just giving them tools to, to deal with those big feelings. Even though emotions are innately a part of each person from birth, we have to be taught about them. We aren't born as babies understanding what it feels like to be sad or surprised. Um, just like we have to teach little ones how to count to 10 and to sing the ABCs, we have to help them discover their own emotions and how they experience those emotions in their bodies. 
So we could take, let's say that um, you're trying to help your child understand the experience of happy. You might say like, well, happy is what you might feel when you're sitting outside eating your favorite kind of ice cream cone next to your best friend and you're giggling about different silly jokes that you're telling. That might be an experience of happy. Two important parts of teaching kids about their own feelings are the first is um, that we as parents are able to identify and talk about our own feelings with our kids. And of course, we want to do that in an age appropriate way. Um, But the more that we can do this, the more it normalizes for kids that it's okay to have feelings and it's okay to talk about them. I've told my own kids um, multiple times when they're both excited and they're both trying to share a story with me and then their voices are getting louder and louder, not because they're upset, but just because they're excited and they want to talk over each other. Um, I've tried to stop them and say like, oh, mommy feels overwhelmed when you're both talking at me or to me at the same time. My ears can only hear one of you at a time and I want to make sure I give each of you my full attention. So why don't you go first and then I'll listen to you after that. Um, So I think it's appropriate for parents to share and let kids in on their emotional experience in an age-appropriate way, of course. We don't want to burden them or put them in the place where they have to feel responsible for our feelings as grown-ups, but we want to be able to let them know, like, hey, I'm a person too, and I still experience emotions. And then the second part of teaching kids about their own feelings is just to be um, help identify and reflect the feelings that we observe them experiencing. I think we can do this in a, a curious kind of state. If we um, if we state things in a wondering kind of way, such as like, I wonder if you might be feeling sad. I see that your shoulders are slumped. I see a frown on your face, and it, I've noticed that you've been quiet all afternoon. And that just gives them space to be able to share if they want to. Kids are also really good at correcting you when you are not correct and um, and guessing what they're feeling if if we don't get it right the first time. So moving into the parenting styles um, related to emotions, this is again by Dr. John Gottman. He has labeled three different ways that parents tend to deal with their own emotions and the emotions in their kids. So the first is emotion coaching. The second is emotion dismissing. And the third is emotion disapproving. And then as we're thinking about our children's feelings, it's also essential that we as a as adults turn inward and take a look at how we handle feelings. Um, When we do that and we take the time to reflect upon how we were raised and what we were taught about emotions and how we express them, then we can consciously make changes. We don't have to fall back into the patterns and inadvertently carry on some of the things that happened when we were kids. Um, So change is possible and that's encouraging. Research has shown that when parents do take time to make sense of their own childhood and their own narrative Um, with, you know, trauma or with pain or even the joyful memories that we have that their children then are more likely to develop into well-adjusted adults. So the first um, parenting style is emotion coaching. These parents tend to be really comfortable with the expression of emotion and talking about emotions, exploring them and themselves and others. These parents tend to notice lower intensity emotions in their kids so that their kids don't have to escalate in their behavior to get their feelings noticed. At my house, we have these wooden train tracks, and my son loves to build these elaborate tracks that weave in and out and go up and down the hills and go through the tunnels, and then he will take all the trains that we have and put them all in a line, which ends up being a really humongous train, 
and they're connected by magnets. So inevitably, when he's pulling the train up the hill, he loses some of the ones, some of the train cars at the end of the train, and that really frustrates him. So if I'm sitting with him and playing, I can notice when he starts to feel a little bit frustrated, and if I can um, kind of intersect that and help him deal with that frustrated feeling, it's a lot better than if it builds and builds and builds and builds, and I don't pay attention to that, and then he just explodes, and we take, you know, half an hour for him to calm down from that really frustrating experience. Um, Emotion coaching parents also see emotional moments as an opportunity for connecting with kids and teaching them. It's just a normal, healthy part of development. Um, These parents also tend to be patient with their kids' negative emotions and then help them uh, verbally label their emotional experience and explore why the child's feeling that way. Emotion coaching parents also help the children, their children figure out what to do about their emotions. Like, what do we do when we feel angry or sad or even happy and surprised? Um, emotion coaching parents also communicate understanding and empathy about the child's feeling, even when there's a misbehavior. So again, they're communicating feelings are okay, all feelings are great, um, are okay to have, but not all behavior is okay to have. Uh, Children who have an emotion coaching parent learn to trust their feelings. They are um, better at regulating their own emotions and solving problems. And they also grow up to have a higher self-esteem, able to learn well and get along with others. So let's think of an example. If your daughter comes home from school one day and she said, today was the worst day ever. Abby doesn't want to be my friend anymore. An emotion coaching parent might respond with something like this. Oh, it sounds like you had a really tough day. Can you tell me more about it? And that response just provides some space and opportunity to go a little bit deeper if the child is wanting to do that. And it it doesn't label the feeling as good or bad or try to fix the feeling or the problem. It just, you know, it's communicating, I'm here with you in this experience. The second type of parenting style is emotion dismissing. And parents who kind of fall into this category are, tend to be uncomfortable with displaying or even talking about emotion. They try to minimize that emotion and keep it really small and kind of protected and covered. These parents don't necessarily notice a lower intensity emotion in themselves or in kids, and they tend to see emotions as toxic and want to keep children like safe from them. Um, Emotion-dismissing parents might want kids to be able to snap out of a negative emotion pretty quickly and change back into being happy. Like some parents might say, oh, where's my happy girl? Like, oh, there's that happy face again. I'm so glad to see it again. Um, They prefer cheerful children and want kids to focus on the positive. Emotion-dismissing parents might also try to distract or cheer up their kids when they have negative emotions. When I was in elementary school, our family dog died um, during the day. So when my mom picked my sister and I up from school that day, she told us about our dog, and of course we felt sad about it. And then she said, hey, let's go to the toy store and I'll pick out a new, or you can pick out a new toy that I'll buy for you. And she did it with every great intention, and she, you know, she loved us, of course, but she just, she told me later, as an adult, I just couldn't bear to see you and your sister feeling sad. Um, about that experience. So um, she wanted to take that away from us instead of sitting with us in that that sadness. Um, Emotion-dismissing parents also tend to see introspection as a waste of time. 
um, and they, they don't always have a detailed vocabulary for emotions. Children of emotion-dismissing parents might learn that their feelings are wrong to have, inappropriate, or even invalid. They might learn that there's something wrong with them because of the way they feel, and then they might have difficulty regulating their own emotions. Going back to that same example of your child comes home from school and says, oh, it's the worst day ever, Abby doesn't want to be my friend anymore, um, an emotion-dismissing parent might respond with, well, at least you have other friends, and I'm sure she didn't mean it. Tell me something happy about your day. And then finally, the emotion-disapproving parenting style um, is similar to the emotion-dismissing dis parenting style, but it's even more harsh and disapproving about the expression of emotions or even talking about emotions in self and others. Um, these parents tend to be critical of a child's emotional expression, and they really want to see like good behavior and that the child is um, meeting all their expectations rather than providing them space to feel what they do. These parents might believe that negative emotions need to be controlled or that even emotions make people weak, so they, they try to help their children be tough emotionally. And they see negative emotions as unproductive and a waste of time. The effects on children of this parenting style is, is similar to the dismissing parenting style, is that children learn that their feelings are wrong or not important, they don't know how to regulate their emotions very well, and then feel that something is just inherently wrong with them because of the way that they feel. The same example, um, thinking about your child coming home from school and being upset, this, um, a parent who is emotion disapproving might say, oh, you're just too sensitive, you've got to toughen up. You probably said something to make her mad anyways. So those are three, um, three parenting styles, again, that Dr. John Gottman has labeled and kind of researched. And the, um, it's important for us as parents to thoughtfully consider, okay, how was I raised? And again, no judgment. It doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong or right. It's just giving you an opportunity to take some steps and um, maybe make some changes if you want to do that with how you're interacting with your own kids and their big emotions. So Sarah is going to share a little bit now about um, understanding brain development and the implications that has on, um, on understanding our kids' big feelings. Thanks, Roshana. Yes, I'm going to transition a bit to discuss your child's brain. Um, as a parent, it can be extremely difficult to show your child empathy when they are displaying challenging or off-track <clears throat> behaviors. Understanding what's going on in their brain can help shed light on the situation, and it gives you a direction on what part of their brain to appeal to when they're frustrated, overwhelmed, or extremely emotional. Um, also, most of the information I'm talking about right now and going into about the brain is from the work of The Whole Brain Child by Daniel Siegel and Tina Payne Bryson. It is a wealth of knowledge I would highly recommend for you to pick up this book to dive deeper into what I'm going to discuss today and also because there's so many strategies um, that you can start using with your children um, right away. So overall, your job as a parent is to help your child's brain grow toward integration. Integration is important because it takes the many parts of the brain and helps them work together. Your child's brain is not integrated yet, <clears throat> excuse me, simply because it's not developed. Um, 
It's easy to see when our kids aren't, aren't operating out of an integrated brain. They become overwhelmed by their emotions, confused and chaotic. They can't respond calmly and capably to the situation at hand. And pretty much any other parenting challenge you face is a result of your child's brain not being integrated or it's disintegrated. This is a good reminder that your child's brain is constantly changing. Your child's brain is under construction, kind of like a house. It's not considered fully developed until they reach their mid-twenties. I'll just let that settle in. <laughs> this means that we as parents have to adjust our expectations. We can't expect that our kids and teens will be their best 100% of the time or that they'll get it right every time because their biology does not allow them to. So we have to remember that, mamas, when our, our kids are driving us nutty, they don't have all the tools yet. The encouraging thing is that the brain is very changeable. You might have heard lately that the brain is very uh, plastic. It's, it's shaped by our experiences. So using everyday moments, you can influence how well your child's brain integrates. So repeated ex when we have repeated experiences, this changes the physical architecture of the brain which is why it's so great to develop healthy habits. And on the flip side, if we learn or develop bad habits, that can be really detrimental to us. So as parents, that makes it um, really important that we're intentional with our kids, how we communicate to them, how we help them reflect on their behavior, how we teach them about relationships, opportunities we give them, etc. The brain is also really complex. There's many different parts that perform different tasks, such as a part for memory, language, empathy, decision-making, and the list goes on. Overall, we want our children to be able to use their whole brain to allow them to be successful and have good mental health. I like to um, use a swimming analogy to compare that. It's like you wouldn't teach your child just to swim with their right arm in the pool. First of all, they'd go in circles, but also they'd most likely drown. Like, they wouldn't be successful at all. You, you want to use both your left and your right arm, your head turning for breathing, and your feet for kicking. And the same way, we want to help our child um, take all these different many parts of their brain and allow them to work and operate between all of those parts to help them be really successful. Um, so let's imagine the brain like a house again. The upstairs brain is your um, middle prefrontal cortex. The upstairs brain is responsible for more intricate mental processes like thinking, imagining, and planning. Because of its sophistication and complexity, it's responsible for producing the types of char characteristics we really want to see in our kids like sound decision making and planning, control over our emotions and body, <laughs> self-understanding, empathy, and morality. Just a reminder, that's the part that's still under construction. But these things that we really want to see in our kids, right? So then there's the downstairs brain, which is the brainstem and limbic region. This is the part of the house that's totally fully developed for our kids. Um, this is responsible for ba basic functions like blinking and breathing, um, for innate reactions and impulses, and for strong emotion. The reason for these very reactive responses has to do with a part of the brain called the amygdala, which resides in that downstairs brain. The amygdala quickly processes and expresses emotions, especially fear and anger, 
which I think we all see in our kids, I would have to say every day, probably every day. Um, the amygdala is like a watchdog that's remaining alert for times when it may be threatened. And when it does feel threatened or senses danger, um, it can easily hijack the upstairs brain. It's kind of like if you go and put a baby gate at the bottom of the stairs, that's like what your amygdala does. It doesn't allow your child to go upstairs and access those amazing parts of their upstairs brain to help them in their big emotion. It's like it's trapped them downstairs. Um, so this is like when your three-year-old erupts in anger because you told them you can't have a cookie before dinner or um, little brother or sister comes along and wrecks Johnny's Lego set and Johnny just you know, flies off the handle or it may look like your seven-year-old who refuses to ride a bike because they're so, so scared. Or it may look like my two-year-old when he was near a llama a couple weeks ago and the llama sneezed. He just completely started bursting out in tears because he was so scared he didn't know what was happening. His amygdala was in action, literally leaving him unable to access his upstairs brain. So, as you might guess, a person's brain works best when vertical integration is happening, when you can go up and down those stairs. The upstairs brain has the ability to monitor and help calm those strong reactions and impulses and emotions that originate from that downstairs place. So you might be thinking, Sarah, this is great. This is awesome news. <laughs> what can we do with it? Well, I'm going to tell you. So, um, one strategy um, is called connect and redirect. So when your child starts to experience those big emotions and they're trapped in that downstairs brain and they can't get upstairs and think logically and communicate clearly with their words, we have to help them get unstuck. Excuse me. Um, and the way we can help them bring that upstairs brain back online is through connecting all the simple... <laughs> It's not always simple, but all the ways that Roshana was talking about with um, the emotion coaching, how we show our kids empathy. We need to respond to their emotional needs first before we try and be rational with them. So for example, um, let's say you told your six-year-old they, they can't go play at the neighbor's house before dinner and they proceed to have a huge meltdown. You connect by first acknowledging his feelings. Uh, I can see you're really upset that you can't go to John's house right now. Use simple words, a gentle voice, and get at their level if you can't, especially. Don't try and, um, you know, be chopping carrots or changing a load of laundry when you're connecting with their kids. It's, it can work, but it may not just be as effective if you just give them your undivided attention. And then communicate that their feeling is okay and makes sense. I know how much you love playing with John, and it sounds like he has a really cool new video game that you really want to play with. I can understand why you'd be so upset. Um, or like with the Lego example I brought up earlier. Oh, your sister, she, you know how much she loves you, and she just came and wrecked your Legos, oh, and you worked so hard on that, and it made you so upset. So see how it's kind of acknowledging and saying, like validating, yeah, of course that would make you upset. You spent hours putting those Legos together and she just carelessly, you know, um, knocked them down. Um, so again, you want to acknowledge and communicate the feeling is okay. So 
This doesn't always mean that their behavior is okay, though. So if they go about um, throwing toys and knocking down chairs or whatever that is, I'm not saying that's okay. So hear that. Um, the emotion is okay and why they feel it is okay, but how they respond in that is not all right. Just like how I want to, you know, punch my husband in the face sometimes. Like, <laughs> I don't do that because that's it's not... It's not right. Um, you know, I can feel angry with him, but how I talk to him about that anger and process that anger is a different thing. Um, yeah, so no matter how nonsensical and frustrating your child's feelings are, they're really real and important to them. So connecting is not um, minimizing their emotion. So if we're going back to the example of can't go to the neighbor's house, um, Oh, stop making it a big deal. There's going to be plenty of other times you can play with him. That's minimizing the emotion. Disapproving or shaming them. Well, I just told your brother he can't go to his friend's house and he's not crying. Squashed, right? Your child is no longer seen or heard. Or dismissing. I can't handle your behavior right now. Go to your room. So if you make a habit of responding in these ways, and I'm going to say make a habit because we are human and it's really natural for us to want to say these things, right? Like I have said these things, but if we make it a habit, right? If this becomes um, your responses all the time, your child will be unable to make sense of and process those really big emotions and they'll still struggle with them into their adulthood. And they will develop unhealthy ways of coping because these emotions need to be processed. Um, okay, so once you have the connecting down, you see the emotion, you acknowledge it, and you tell them it's okay, or why it makes sense, then you can switch to redirect. So this is dealing with the issue in a rational manner. So once your son has calmed down and he knows he feels hurt by you, um, you know, and you see him maybe you know, stop crying, or his, you see his body relax, he can say things like, I know you're upset about not going to John's house right now. Let's see if we can play with him tomorrow morning after breakfast. Or, I'm glad you had so much fun at his house yesterday. Can you tell me more of that about that video game? What's something that you could do for 15 minutes before dinner? Let's brainstorm. So this is where you're just, you're, you're going more so into your child's upper brain, or or even left brain, and you're just helping them, um, you process the emotion, and now you can redirect and be productive. So keep in mind, you may have to be a parrot, saying the same thing over in different ways so your child really feels understood. You might have to say, oh, you feel so mad. Oh, I can see you're so upset. Gosh, that's really unfair. Gosh, you're so sad. So you may just have to really, like, use different language or, or um, repeat yourself to know um, or for your child to know that you have really seen them and connect with them. You also might not be able to redirect quickly, hence the maybe having to parrot or um, be in that uh, connecting phase for a while. Also, sometimes this connect and redirect might not always work. <laughs> you may <laughs> need to let your child ride that emotional wave out and wait till the storm passes. I experienced this the hard way when I got my education first and I was counseling and doing practice and then I had kids and I'm like, what the heck? This isn't working. And I just freaked out because it's like, you know, I'm an expert. I should know how to do this. Sometimes it just doesn't work and you have to feed your child or see if they're really hungry or just give them time and space. 
Um, and also, rules and respect are not thrown out the window because your child is in their downstairs brain, right? Um, you may have to remove them from a situation before you can even begin to try connecting and redirecting from them with them. <clears throat> so, the rule of thumb here is um, emotional flooding when your kid is in their really big emotion or in that bottom brain. It is not a time for a lesson to be learned. They, they cannot hear you well when you're trying to be logical with them or redirect them to go into their upstairs brain. They can't get there yet because that baby gate is, is locked and it's keeping them in there. Okay, now I'm going to move on to another strategy called name it to tame it. So we have connect and redirect, name it to tame it. So in Name It to Tame It, when your child experiences a painful, disappointing, or scary moment, it can become overwhelming. Um, they have big emotions and bodily sensations can really overwhelm their right side of their brain. When this happens, um, we as parents can help bring their left side of their brain into the picture. And that um, left side is, you know, the naming and words, uh, language, all of that good side. Um, and this is, and as a parent, you want to bring that left side on so they can make sense of what is happening. The main goal of Name It to Tame is to retell a frightening story as to help promote integration of the brain. So when we can name our fears and emotions, we're able to tame them or make sense of them because we as humans are, we're meaning-making beings. And so we want to be able to make sense of something, have a narrative for something. Um, and so here, here's an example, um, I just made up. So I'll be, hopefully you can tell my mom voice and my kid voice apart, but I'm starting talking as a mom. Yeah, that was scary when you fell off your break and gosh, you broke your arm. Yeah, it hurt. What happened after you fell? Mommy came and picked me up. Yes. And you were really frightened because it surprised you when you fell down so hard. Yeah, I didn't want to fall. I know, and then we took you to the hospital, and then what happened? So that's just a little example of how I'm kind of helping Bobby, we'll say Bobby, work through this story of him falling off his bike and breaking his arm. And this is going to allow him to feel, feel those emotions and heal from them. So that way he's not terrified for the rest of his life to hop on a bike and give that a try, even though he experienced something that was scary. Uh, because he has a, a narrative, a beginning, middle, and end of knowing what that experience was like, what happened to him, and how it, um, you know, resolved. So don't avoid talking about an experience, a scary experience with your child, because you think it will reinforce the child's painful memories. Telling a story is exactly what the child needs to make sense of the event and move on from what happened. When a child... Um, learns to pay attention and share their own stories, they can respond in really healthy ways from everything to a scraped elbow to major loss or trauma. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to transition now? Mm -hmm. I feel like that was really abrupt. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, this kind of leads into what you were, blends in with what you were just sharing, so I think you did a beautiful job with that. Um, so another... So along with the connect and redirect and the name it to tame it um, 
tools that Sarah just talked about. There's also another limit setting model that you can use as a tool as well. So Sarah did a great job of saying how we want to tell our kids all feelings are okay to feel, but what you choose to do with that feeling can sometimes have consequences. So um, at times we just need to connect with our children and their feelings and there might not necessarily be a redirection that's needed or a consequence if, if there was a limit broken. Um, and other times we do have to set a limit and, um, and stick with the consequences and giving those out after the child is calm and we've connected with them and that feeling. So for example, um, a couple months ago, my whole family was playing a game together and one of our kids got really mad about something that didn't go their way and they threw their cards down and upended the game board, which ruined it for the rest of us. So that behavior did need a limit, but first we had to connect with that feeling of anger and maybe disappointment that something didn't go their way um, or sadness or maybe even jealousy that the sibling got you know, further ahead in the game. Um, so we had to connect with that feeling before we could address the behavior and then set a consequence that was kind of fitting to what had just happened. Um, so limits are good, and they communicate love when we present them in an appropriate way. And God models limit setting with us from the very beginning. If you think back to the story of the Garden of Eden, God told Adam that he was free to roam throughout the garden and enjoy the fruit that the trees produced, except for one of the trees, um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So disobeying this limit resulted in a dire consequence, which was death and, and separation from God and, our, and sin. Um, so this limit was set before sin enters the world, so we know that it's part of God's overall good design. But our natural tendency as people is to want to know where those limits are. We're constantly trying to push the limits and figure out how much we can get away with. Um, and I believe that limits actually can help our kids and grown-ups to feel safe when we know where those are. When we don't have those limits, it can kind of feel like too scary because everything is a possibility. So limits are appropriate to set with our kids. There's a great model um, by a play therapist named uh, Dr. Gary Landreth, and he um, termed this model the ACT limit setting model. It's a three-step approach that communicates a limit um, to the child by giving a choice, and it empowers the child to make that choice on their own, and it allows us as the parents to kind of take a step back out of that power struggle so that we're not escalating in big emotions with our kids. So one, it's just one way to redirect behavior that's not acceptable. Um, so it, it kind of piggybacks really well on what Sarah was just talking about with the connect and redirect um, strategy. So you want to get down at the child's eye level or below eye level if you can. It's just less intimidating and less threatening to your child. And just like Sarah said, use a gentle tone of voice. Um, you know, if you need to, take a couple big breaths yourself as a parent. Um, manage your own emotions first so that you can do this without um, placing your emotions onto your child. So the A in this, this limit setting model stands for acknowledge the child's feelings or desires. And this step really communicates to your child that you get what their experience is, even if it seems really silly or insignificant to you. Because um, there are moments like that. The other day at breakfast, my daughter was handing me different cereal um, boxes. She loves to have like three or four different cereals all at the same time in her bowl, and she mixes them together. So she was handing me the boxes that she wanted me to pour the cereal into her bowl, and I it, the 
the last one was Cheerios. So I poured the Cheerios in and then we poured the milk in. She mixed them up and then she was getting ready to take her first bite and she looked down and she saw that there were Cheerios in her bowl and she just started screaming and crying and I was like, what is, what's going on with this? Um, and she said, I don't like Cheerios. And I was like, okay, well you just handed them to me. So in my mind I'm thinking this is really silly. Like you ate Cheerios fine yesterday and now you're telling me you don't like them and you just handed me the bag to put in your, you know, to take some out and put into your bowl. So, but of course I don't want to say that to her because that completely invalidates, um, if that's a word, (laughs) um, minimizes her feeling and communicates to her that this is, you know, not a big deal. So instead we want to help connect with, um, we want to empathize and connect with our child and calm the child down first in the moment before we redirect the behavior. Um, acknowledging the child's feelings and desires also helps us as the grown-ups avoid um, labeling our child. Sometimes in, you know, in the heat of the moment when we feel angry as parents, it could be easy just to give a child a label like you're a liar or you're just, you know, you're a troublemaker, you're causing trouble. Again, we all have times where we um, might do something like that or, you know, um, not make the best choices on our end as a parent in the heat of the moment. So moving on to the next um, the next part of the ACT limit setting model is C, which is communicate the limit. And this is all about setting the boundaries on what the child can and can't do with that big feeling. And then T, the last part, is target the alternatives. And this part puts the responsibility back on the child's shoulders to decide what to do in the situation. And you want to give choices that you are okay with as a parent. So if you're not okay with your child eating 10 cookies before dinner, then you wouldn't give that as a choice in the moment. Um, You can clearly communicate the consequence of either choice um, and then still hold the child responsible for the consequences. Here's an example of what the ACT limit setting model might look like. Let's say that you just bought your child a brand new pack of markers and, you you know, she can barely wait to get them home and open them up and start using them. So she, you know, you you open up the markers, she gets them out, she starts coloring on the paper and then looks over at the wall and thinks, hmm, my new markers might look pretty on the wall. So she starts coloring on the wall. So you could say for the A, which is acknowledge the feeling or desire, oh, Lily, I know you're so excited to use your new markers. And then the C is communicate the limit, but the wall is not for coloring on. So that's the limit. And then T is target the alternatives. You may color on this piece of paper or you can color on the whiteboard. And so kind of that's what it looks like, you know, in a pretty little package. Again, it's not going to always turn out that way. And there might be crying or screaming involved, too, if um, your child doesn't like either of the choices that you have picked for them. But you can still hold them responsible to follow through with the consequences. So remember that we can't force children to obey the limits, but we can give choices that are acceptable for us. And again, that puts the responsibility back on our child's shoulders. Um, Dr. Landreth, who came up with this model of limit setting, tells a story about one time before bedtime, his daughter decided to go into the kitchen and raid the cookie jar. So she comes out of the kitchen with two fistfuls of (laughs) Oreo cookies. So her dad wants to sidestep a potential meltdown. You know, it's bedtime, she's tired, she, you know, is determined she's going to eat all these cookies. So he takes a step back and thinks, hmm, I need to do something a little different in this situation than I've done in the past. So he asks her, Hmm, would you like to eat one of those cookies or no cookies? So again, it was a choice, either choice that she made was okay with him. 
And of course, his daughter chose to eat one cookie. So she gained some more self-confidence in making her own decision that night, and then her dad sidestepped a potential meltdown um, right before bed. But again, it doesn't always work out that way, um, and we have to be able to help soothe our kids and their big feelings if they don't like the choices that we give them. Um, and then just a thought about how to balance the rules we have in our households and then the relationship that we have with our kids. So um, rules, if we have too many rules and too many standards and expectations for our kids without having a loving kind of nurturing relationship where they feel like we really get them and understand them emotionally, that's going to push them away and cause them to rebel and not follow our leadership as easily as parents. When we have, on the flip side, if we have too much um, you know, too much permissiveness and, um, you know, they feel understood by us, but we don't have the rules in place and the structure in our household, then that is going to lead to resentment. So we need both. We need both rules and resentment, and they have to kind of be balanced at the same time. So I'm going to wrap us up here with some discipline basics. I'm just over here. I'm like, preach Roshana. I just needed to hear that. I just needed to hear it. And even, uh, yeah, even during these really hard times, um, with coronavirus and social distancing and, um, lots of things being shut down. Uh, this is such a hard, hard time, a hard season of life where you're stuck in your house with your littles and maybe can't go to the park or have as many play dates. So I just, I just felt and feel the Lord, um, wanting me to share with you to have so much grace for yourself right now. Just so, so just all of it, just take all the grace. Um, and if this talk is even hard to hear, you're thinking like, gosh, my parents were never this way. And, uh, maybe you're feeling angry or maybe you're thinking, oh, it's too late. My kid's eight or nine and I haven't been, it's never too late. You can start practicing some of these tools. Um, and even gosh, if it's a time when things open back up again to, um, do work yourself, to do the counseling work of processing these things from your childhood and how you're now trying to grow and become a better parent to your child. Um, and in all of this, there is just so, so much grace. So I just wanted to say that. And I needed <laughs> to hear it for myself. So discipline basics. Um, just a few things. Uh, discipline. Sometimes I talk in my practice, you know, I can t I'll talk a whole session or sessions about discipline with parents because there's just a lot of things to know about it. And each child is so different and the rules within each house are, you know, so different. So this is again, very broad, but just a few things we wanted to tack on for the talk. So don't discipline in your anger. Take time to calm yourself down if you are able. Um, and this is also a great way to model to your child how to handle big emotion, right? Like anger. Um, if I'm disciplining in my anger, it's not really effective. And my child is going to be receiving a lot of mixed messages. Like you're telling me to calm down, but you're yelling at me like what? That's confusing. That's confusing. So if you're able or even language, like what you just did is not okay. I don't know what the consequence is going to be right now, but we're going to talk about it later. Give yourself time. You don't have to do that discipline maybe right there in that second, but you're letting them know this is not okay. It's going to be addressed later, and that gives you time as a parent to internally cool your jets. 
the consequence should be age appropriate. So for my two-year-old child, um, usually at night we read books, we pray, and we sing. If I'm giving him a consequence, it might be just not reading books, but we'll still sing and pray. For your child who is seven, maybe it's taking away electronics for the day or half of the day, depending on, you know, what their um, day looks like with electronics. Um, and that leads me to um, making make the the consequence bearable for your kid. So don't, in your anger, again, this is typically when we don't make the best choices, is no more TV for the next two months. And for that kid, they're like, what? That's, that's two years for them, you know? Um, that's not bearable. And what I find sometimes is kids throw their hands up and they're like, fine. And then they don't want to keep any of the rules because they're so discouraged. And this, this consequence is so burdensome for them. Um, so, yeah, make it make it bearable for that kid and provide them hope. You know, you're losing electronics for today. I hope, you know, you make better decisions so you're able to play your video games tomorrow. Tomorrow is not very far away. They feel the sting and the consequence of their bad decision, but they know, you know, there's hope and they're able to play that game tomorrow. It doesn't totally take all the, the wind out of their sails. Um, and lastly, just don't overwhelm your kids with consequences that just keep stacking up. Um, <laughs> this just, you know, the, the cue just builds and builds, right? It's like, that's not very effective. And again, it becomes burdensome and overwhelming to your kid. So still offer positive experiences with your child when they have a, um, consequence. So like my example with my son, Jude, you know, you can't, we're not going to read books tonight before bed, but we're still going to sing and pray. So I'm still having a positive, loving, um, encounter with my son, even though, gosh, you didn't get books. He's bummed by that. He's really um, upset by that. But we're still having a positive, loving experience. And maybe, you know, for your kid that's older, they don't get to go to um, John... <laughs> I keep using Johnny as an example. Whatever. <laughs> Johnny's swim party on Saturday um, because, you know, he made a really bad choice and that was a consequence. So he can't go to Johnny's swim party. But maybe as a family, you have popcorn and you watch a movie that night. So just because there, there's a consequence, that doesn't mean you suck the love out of your home for them, right? You, it's not trying to just, like, punish them to the point of exhaustion and no will, right? Like, you still want your child to be thriving. Um, and like Roshana was saying, you have the, um, if it's just rules, 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 um, you know, they get really um, broken down by that. <laughs> so... Anything, Roshana, you wanted to add there or? Um, um, I think the only other thing that I, just as Sarah and I are talking today, that I was thinking in my mind is how to intentionally teach kids what to do with big feelings. Um, I think this is something we as parents want to do not in the heat of the moment. It's kind of like trying to teach a child how to swim when they feel mm -hmm. like they're drowning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that big emotion, they are feeling overwhelmed and they, they can't learn a new skill in that time. So when everyone's calm, you could say something like, you know what, I've been noticing that it's hard for you or for us to know what to do with big mad feelings or big disappointed feelings. Like, let's brainstorm some things that we could do. 
Um, I've made a couple lists with our kids, and um, we put little pictures by them. Like, we could do ten stomps with our feet, or we could throw a pair of socks against a door, or we can twirl around, or we could run around the house outside, um, you know, or we can squeeze a stress ball. So things like that, you want to help them, give them some tools that you're okay with, mm-hmm. um, especially ones that can move their bodies for um, getting out big mad feelings because that um, that energy, that kind of mad energy pulses throughout mm-hmm. their being. So when you can help them move their body, it really does help deflate it and take yes. the, the power and intensity out of that feeling. So I think that's the only other thing that I've been thinking of that we haven't um, kind of touched upon. But yeah. And don't feel bad about taking breaks for yourself, too. There have been many moments where I have I have this adult coloring book and some markers that I just use for me. They're not my kids' markers. <laughs> I get those out, and I'm like, Mommy needs a break right now. And my daughter will come over, like, quietly. She's like, Mommy, can I color with you? <laughs> so she they start to know, too, like, okay, Mommy's got a big feeling. She's taking steps to get it out so she's not, like, yelling at us or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, doing making other choices in my anger, but and it's okay for us to take breaks. And as Sarah said, it models for our kids yes. how to do that. It makes it okay. Um, and then finally, I I just wanted to share another quote. This is by Dr. Gary Landreth. Um, it sounds kind of clunky in the beginning, um, but it's the most important thing isn't what you do, but what you do after what you have done. And um, it just speaks to how important the repair is when we have a break in the relationship with our kids um, because of big feelings and how they were handled. We can take ownership of our own actions and model like, hey, I am so sorry that I yelled at you when I was so mad yesterday. Like, can you please forgive me? So it provides a beautiful opportunity for our kids to know like, oh, mommy and daddy mess up too. And this is what it looks like to come back and humbly say, I messed up, do you forgive me? And then you can, you know, um, teach them that and move on together with them. And then we just want to leave you with a couple questions um, today as we say goodbye. The first is, what parenting style did your parents most often use when you were growing up? So think back to the emotion dismissing, emotion disapproving, and emotion coaching. Um, Then number two, how do you think it is shaping the way that you are raising your kids? And finally, what emotion do you have a hard time tolerating from your child, and how can you take steps to connect with them in that emotion? So three things just to kind of ponder, or if you're meeting with someone to listen to this um, recording, then you can maybe discuss with them as a group. Um, But we hope that you felt um, grace from us today as we shared these things and know that we're kind of in the trenches with you, too, as we have our own littles at home. Um, If you want more information about how to connect with Living Wholehearted, um, the website is livingwholehearted.com, and you can um, meet our team through looking at those um, resource pages, and um, feel free to reach out if you want some additional support or help for you and your child. Yeah, we, um, yeah, we're humbled. I know I speak for Roshan too. We're humbled we even get to be here discussing these things with you. Um, and it's, it's very hard to parent. It's very, very, very hard to parent. And, um, so just, yeah, offer yourselves a lot of grace, especially during this time. And it's, it's never too late to make changes for you and your family. And, um, yeah, we hope and wish the best for you and your families.